Good morning, DCF. How are you today? I can, I can blow you out. It's not a problem for me. So we are, we are grateful for everyone being here, and I thought we'd start off a little bit. Uh, I wanted to tell a, tell a quick story about uh, how God uh, meets our needs, how he, he's looking after us and how he's trying to uh, keep that relationship, keep us, keep us where we're mindful of him always. So my grandson is here today, Riley, and most of y'all know Riley. Riley was, uh, goes to a military school up at Camp Hill, Alabama, and he had gotten involved with a, uh, a teacher who they, they thought maybe what they would do is they put together a program uh, to help uh, sports athletes become Christian athletes, Christian sports athletes. And that, the project kind of went by the wayside so to speak, until the end of the year, and then the teacher and he ran into each other, and, they, and the teacher goes, well, are you still interested in doing that? Sorry, we missed out this past year. And Riley said, sure, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to do that. So the, his teacher gave him about six books, put them in his hand, and he said, well, read these. And uh, as Riley was thinking about six books in his hands and it's summertime and now. it's summertime and you know he said I don't know I don't think I'll read this but he asked he asked the Lord he said you know I, I really need a sign give, give me a sign about this so he pulled out one of the books you know just randomly it may have been the middle book whatever um, and he just randomly opened the book just let it fall open and on the, uh, on the right page was a little block that said, sign. <laughs> so, you know, those things are hard to ignore. <laughs> and, and, of course, the scripture that was related to the sign, it, it spoke to him. It, 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 was, it was what he was asking for. So the Lord doesn't ignore us. Uh, the Lord guides us. The Lord has our hearts he has our, uh, our well-being always in his mind. It's because he loves us. And, you know, I'm thankful that, that we have a good and gracious God that believes in us, desires us, sent his son to die for us so that we could have everlasting life and be back in communion with him. That, that's the first part of it. The everlasting life is the benefit, but it's actually to be back in communion with him. And I always think about it in terms of the, that, we, that we really are, uh, again, walking in the cool of the garden with God, you know, and communing with him and speaking to him. And he is just our loving father, who's right alongside us showing us how much he cares for us. So as we begin worship, uh, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for uh, we thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you for your tremendous love. We thank you for uh, we thank you for each other. We thank you for your heart towards us. And ask that you, uh, uh, you open our heart today as we worship you.
we were listening to gratitude, it says, you know, and as we're worshiping, let your soul set its shyness aside. Set the shyness aside so that we can praise God. So let's praise God. If you're able to stand, go ahead and join us for worship by standing. All of this to say, it is an action relationship. It is not a stat, you know, just kind of boring. We are involved in this relationship. We're going to be asking that God bring back to your mind things where he has met you, right where he needed to, even if it was sign. I need a sign. And our response to him that's appropriate is to return love and praise to him. So we're going to have our worship team lead us in that. Let's just soak it up and go for it with action.
going to be singing another song called Move Your Heart. And sometimes this song sounds like they're saying, what, what, what do I got to do? How do I get to you? How do I move your heart? And I'm going to challenge us today to sing that in confidence and it because we've experienced, we've experienced the heart of God. So when we go to the song, is it a fragrance? Is it a life laid down? Is it a song I sing? It's all of those things. But we don't do it because we're like, if you don't do this, I'm not showing up for you. He has already showed up and he is calling us tenderly. You ever had someone you kind of had a crush on and you want to spend time with them and you ponder them and you think about them? He is pondering you right now. And he's like, oh, I just want to be close. Let me even closer and closer. My spirit is in you and I will flood you. And the answer to the song coming up, what moves you, we do. What moves him, you do. You are more than enough. He is, he is overwhelmingly in love with each one of us. That's about as intimate as I know because he knows every freckle, every wrinkle, every thought. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love you. So let's soak it up and proclaim it to ourselves and to everyone else. What moves you, we do. Blows my mind. Let's do that together. Jesus, Jesus, 
during prayer, we just talked about just time and time again how, how God has stepped in, you know, when, when things are going wrong, when things, you know, just aren't the way we wish they would be, but how God was always faithful to come in and provide. And as Diane was, was sharing about this song, you know, the words, I just want to move your heart, you know, I think about it from the perspective of a father and how my my daughter moves my heart. A lot of times, you know, I, I think about this song from a perspective, just a, a theological perspective, like what does it mean to move the heart, heart of the father? The heart of someone who is is the God of the universe whose will is absolute. What does that look like to move his heart? Mm, I'll be honest, it doesn't, it doesn't take, take much for my daughter to move my heart. Simply just being my daughter, she moves my heart. So this, this morning, when I know we all have these various things going on in our lives. We want to we want to praise God through those those storms in our lives. We want to praise Him because He is a good Father. He's a God who provides. He is a God who always comes through. I also want to think about the, the verse in the Old Testament about uh, three Israelites. I'm not going to say their names because I'll probably butcher it. But those that that stood up and did not bow down to the king. And they got thrown into the fire. But before they got thrown in, they said, we will not bow. But even if our God does not save us, we will still praise his name. We are not going to bow. So this morning, let's just, as we go back into this song, know that just being sons and daughters moves his heart as a father who is going to always come through for us we will praise his name but, but even if he doesn't he is still God and we praise his name this morning
this uh, this was such a sweet and precious time this morning with the Lord and worship. Um, one of the things that we came into our morning prayer time meeting with was uh, a sense of peace. And I think the Lord responded to that. And I think there's a sense there's is just that. There's just a nice sense of peace of his merciful love over this house. And we're just so grateful. We're grateful for his heart for us. If you want to go ahead and have a seat, you're welcome to. Got your exercise in for the early morning. Wanted to welcome everyone here. It's nice getting to know some new faces, whether you smile or not. It's nice to see you. <laughs> you know, you've been hearing a little bit, and I, I wanted to mention it, the prayer time. Everyone is welcome to that prayer time. It's at 915 is when we start, and if you just go through the doors over there and keep going until you hit the kitchen, take a right and keep going. Open one more door, but probably just ask anyone, where's the prayer happening? Because we capture a lot of what God's been saying through the week. And we share it together, and it's amazing what happens. Right, And that just kind of, it's like tenderizes your heart even more as you're getting ready to come into worship. And we also pray for this time, and it's powerful. So we'd love to see anyone else come. Speaking of information, dothancf.com is where you're going to find a lot of information that's going, anything that's going on with the church, what groups are available, ways to serve, how to give, all kinds of things are available. And you can go there if, as a new person if you want to learn something, or maybe you're an old person and you want to learn something. If you go to Connect With Us, you'll see information explains kind of what we believe, who we are, and what's happening around here. Speaking of what's happening, we have more events coming and they're going to be on dothancf.com, but it's starting fairly soon to something we're doing every other week on the even-numbered Sundays, like June 4th, and then 18th, uh, we're going to be having pool day, because we, we like getting together after church, so we're opening up um, a pool time, you just grab your lunch, bring your lunch, bring your leftovers, bring everything so you're self-sufficient, and it'll be at our house, we've got a pool, um, bring pool toys if you want to. And we're going to have a great time. Swim if you want to. Don't swim if you want to. I was going to say bathing suits are optional, but do you understand I don't mean naked, naked is not the option. If you, don't, if you don't want to put on your bathing suit, you can put on whatever's comfortable for you. And com you naked is not comfortable for me. And it probably goes both ways. So wanted to let you, you know that. Um, we have an exciting thing that we want to share if Totsky will come on up. Um, we want to have a testimony time. I'm looking for him, and I don't see him. There he is. There he is. Um, okay, why don't you raise your hand? Okay, good job. Um, part of the reason for testimonies is to be an encouragement and a reminder of God. And I'm not, not going to step on his toes. I'm going to turn it over to him. Here you go. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, I really thank you that God is... Not only a generous, he is faithful. Every single time of my life, after I met Jesus in Japan and I come here and the whole thing, every single time I have something that really difficult, something needed, any capacity of needs, 
he promised me and he's going to be meet the needs. And when I seek his face and his way. And uh, this is a recent one that uh, within six months happening. Uh, well, uh, some, of the, some of you know, uh, we, will ex we are expecting any day, I guess, for <laughs> my third uh, baby, which is going to be a first son. Uh, then uh, that is a, a kind of yeah, thankful testimony. But the uh, main thing is, uh, our fund that we are trying for this uh, baby is that, uh, covering for the accidental uh, mess, which is a septic fuel line was busted, and then we do not have anything to do but put that money onto uh, to fix this uh, immediate mess. The gap was also uh, set aside for that money for us that basically teaching to put aside money. That's the first thing. But the other thing is a cool thing that God did is that we ask him for that provision to how to pay for this pregnancy uh, cut to the short. And we pray. We stood the faith saying God will provide somehow. And the other end of the story is somebody in this body heard it from God to put a certain amount of money to certain, amount, to certain people. And they heard my name and put the money to the elder. And anonymously, is that word? Uh, give it to my hand on that time of the need. And then that actually paid to the uh, uh, OBGYN fee that uh, entire time of the uh, pregnancy. And God is meeting needs and then meeting through the people uh, of our body. And then I highly encourage that, that use your gift of what you got, not only your finance, but also your, uh, any gift that God gave it to you. And uh, literally uh, hear from him and then do what he said like a disciple that we, we are, right? So that's, that's uh, encouraged to somebody that who have a need, also encourage you that who has a, a gift that you can be the really big impact to that your next neighbor. So what I gathered from that really quickly is that God is loves it and he blesses us when we give and when we receive and he hears the specifics he cares about someone saying i need a sign and he took it quite literally because that's what it needed to be sign he was there in the middle of a septic tank he's there in the middle of all the needs that we have and that's an amazing thing to see and part of how he does that is our way of giving and this is a generous group generous family that gives there's multiple ways you can use a box here if you're a put a check-in person, do it through the bank. You can, there's uh, multiple ways you can give online. And uh, to make it as easy as possible, it is a blessing to see God move with what we give him. Because it's all his anyway. So isn't that exciting? Um, next coming up, and I see the blue shirt. Are you doing kids' church today? I thought so. I love that shirt. So 
children are now can be released to head back to kids' church, and we also have our teen ministry for youth is available out this way. So we're going to let them go. And in just a moment, Dave will be up, and we'll have our, our message. Be back in just a moment. Talk amongst yourself. Go to the bathroom. Be right back. As you probably know, today is Memorial Day. So I'm just going to take a minute before I preach. And uh, we just want to remember, um, there's a whole bunch of us in this uh, church that served in the military. Um, If you served in the military for long enough, more than likely you had a friend or someone that you knew. And if you were obviously someone whose uh, family served in the military, so many of us have, um, have seen loss, especially in recent years with the, the wars we haven't, we've had. Um, there's a scripture in the Bible that speaks to something like this. It always comes back to me on days, on days like today. And it's John 15, 12. And this is Jesus talking really about the essence of who he is and, and what he's about. He says, this is my commandment. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. And that means unconditionally, right? It's the way he's loved us. And then he says this, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Thank you. And so it's amazing to me, um, you know, when Jesus was speaking to that, obviously he was speaking about himself and the fact that he was laying his life down not for his servants, (laughs) right, but for his friends. And so um, in a a day like today, we just want to take a minute and pray and just say thank you, to men and women who are willing to lay down their life for their friends, or lay down their life for a cause that was greater than them, for a nation that celebrates freedom, that oftentimes will go into really, really bad places um, to fight for someone else's freedom. And uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. So would you just take a minute and, and just pray with me? So Lord, we just come and so we just say, Lord, thank you so much for those who have served in the armed forces Um, Lord, who have paid the greatest price, Lord. Lord, I remember signing up uh, for the military, and it really never crossed my mind as a young man, Lord, that I might lay my life down uh, for a cause that was greater than me. Um, Lord, and I was surprised when I went to Desert Storm, and then I remembered the oath I had taken that maybe I had not taken as seriously as I ought to. But Lord, before that season was done, Lord, when my life was at risk, and Lord, when others had laid their life down for this cause, Lord, something in my heart rose up, and I realized there's something greater than me. There's purpose, Lord, greater than me. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for those who were willing to give away what was so precious and so valuable, Lord, for something greater than them. And Lord, we just say thank you to the families, Lord, who have continued on, who remember, and on a day like today, we remember the great price that was paid. And Lord, we just say thank you for all those who are still serving in the armed forces, Lord, and we pray as they are willing to go into lonely places, Lord, and risk their lives and potentially pay the greatest sacrifice themselves. Lord, that you would protect them, you would cover them, Lord, and you would bring them home safely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. I started a series last week called Empowered and Life in the Spirit. And so Pentecost Sunday is an interesting Sunday 
Um, Pentecost is not the original name for the harvest that, and the celebration that the, uh, the Israelites would have. The original idea uh, in these celebrations were not accidental. And so Pentecost Sunday happened uh, 50 days after Easter. That's where the penta comes from, five or 50. And, uh, but it was originally called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks is another version of it because it, it happened seven weeks after, the, after that. Um, but the Feast of Harvest is interesting. And uh, Pentecost happens in the second chapter of Acts where the power and the presence and the manifestation and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. The church is born and it begins to, the church begins to go out into the world. It's empowered. It's given strength. As Jesus, as a matter of fact, said it this way. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go on this incredible mission that I've called you to until you be endued with power from on high. And that was the picture of these disciples. Now imagine these disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had, they had watched him do signs and wonders and miracles. They were there when, when people were raised from the dead. They were there when Jesus walked on the water. They were there in the miracles and the signs and the wonders. They were there in the revelation that Jesus was God himself come down in the flesh. They were there at the cross when it seemed everything was going to fall away and everything was for nothing. And all of their lives they'd given is going to just, it's going to fade away to nothing. And they were there for the resurrection when Jesus came alive. And the Bible says even others came out of the grave because there was so much power flowing. And they see this and they're ready to go on this mission that he's called them to. He said, go and make disciples. The last thing he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? And he says, but before you do, <laughs> I need you to wait. Isn't it interesting? Jesus, Jesus talks about Genesis numerous times. He speaks to, to the Old Testament. And in the book of Genesis, the very first men, the mankind, they come into existence. God makes them and creates them. He's created all the, the environments for them. He's created the world, and he puts them in this place. This is beautiful garden. Everything's ready. He tells them what he's going to, he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply. I need you to tend the garden. I need you to walk with me in the cool of the day. He says all these things, and they're ready to do what God has called him to do. He says, but first things first, we're going to wait. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so now you see this picture of Pentecost again. Jesus is, is saying, this is what he says in John 14, 26. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. And he's saying, before you leave, you need to wait for a helper, wait for a comforter, wait for someone as a guide to come along who's going to empower you, who's going to do something that if you understand the magnitude of it, you will not move without him, right? And so Jesus makes this controversial statement. I mentioned this last week. The night before his crucifixion in John 16, 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now think about that. Again, all the, in light of all the things that have occurred, Jesus is saying, I know you thought this was the most amazing thing. And last week talk, we talked about if you had two doors, Jesus manifests, Jesus comes through this door right now and ministers to you personally or the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Which door would you choose? Which door would you walk through? And most of us were honest. We would go with the physical manifestation of Jesus because it's tangible, because it's recognizable, because it would be so incredibly amazing. And what Jesus was saying was that it's actually better 
that he goes away and the ministry of the Holy Spirit begins to occur. The Holy Spirit himself comes. So, so wh- who or what is the Holy Spirit? This is a question. It's brought up in Acts chapter 19. It's a really interesting passage. Uh, Paul's talking to the disciples at Ephesus, and this is what he says. He says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, some people who had already heard the name of Jesus, who put their trust in Christ. And he said, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So remember, Paul is remembering back. He said, it, there's, there's this incredible encounter with Jesus himself and asking him into your heart, being baptized into the body of Christ is the way the Bible speaks of it. And so he's, he recognizes this has occurred to these guys, but then he asked them a question about a second experience. And he says, he says um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Because it's this picture of tr- just tremendous honesty and authenticity that says, man, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but I don't know what you're talking about with this Holy Spirit stuff, right? And some of us have grown up in church world where we've had encounters with Jesus and we've had these precious moments and these encounters during worship like we had re- just in our service just recently. And, and we've, we've had the, the presence of Jesus come and, and, and dwell us. We know what that feels like. And then the question is, have you received the Spirit since you believed? In other words, is there something that's occurred? Have you been, like these early disciples, endued with power? Have you received grace? Of course. Jesus comes and lives in your life. New nature, new, you know, new heart, everything becomes new, right? But he says, I also want to empower you. Now, how does that work? That's what we're going to talk about, some of the mechanics that we're going to go in today. It, here's uh, Acts chapter 5, because here's the, the challenge is we don't know sometimes who the Holy Spirit is or what he is. Is he a force? Is he like, you know, Star Wars? Is he, is he something, is he like, you know, floating around in the ether? Is, is, here's another suggestion. Is he just disembodied Jesus? Is he Jesus as a spirit as opposed to Jesus in the flesh? Is that who he is? And the Bible speaks very specifically that the Holy Spirit is God. The tripart, the Trinity, he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So here's a picture of this in Acts chapter 5. When Ananias lies to the, um, about the price of the piece of property, Peter says that Satan had filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 5, verse, verse 3. And then right after that in verse 4, he says Ananias lied to God. He said he lied to the Holy Spirit, and by doing that, he lied to God. So there's a picture of it. And you see it so many other places. You see Jesus saying that God, is, that God the Father is going to send a helper, some, someone different than him. He said, I'm here, but soon God is, the Father is going to send a helper. So he said, there's going to be someone different. And then at Jesus' baptism, the scripture says that he's, he goes down in the water. He doesn't need to be baptized for remission of sins like we do, but he was doing it as a model, as an example to show us, right, to go before us. And he goes down in the water and he comes up and the Bible says, um, there's a voice that comes out of heaven. The Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He'd done no ministry. It's a picture for us of grace. You've done nothing, and yet God says, I'm pleased with him because he's my son. Not because he's done anything, but because he's my son, and that's a picture of grace in our lives. Father comes and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. There's two scenarios when we were doing prayer this morning, two times this last week where a dove appeared, and in and, and both instances, the people said, we felt the peace of God when that happened. It's a symbolic, right? This was symbolic with Jesus, appeared like a dove, and it comes down and it lights upon him. 
And then the Bible says it stays there. The dove stays. The Holy Spirit stays with him, right? And so now you have the Father speaking. You have the dove, the Holy Spirit descending, and then you have Jesus himself being baptized. Three different people. Holy Spirit is God, and he is active right now if we will allow him to be. So the Holy Spirit was active throughout all the ages, what some Bible theologians call dispensations. Um, You see him in Genesis, hovering over creation. He came upon the prophets, and what's really interesting, they would share the mind of God. They would hear, they would be connected to the Spirit of God, and they would share with the nation of Israel what God said, often with kings, often with, with really influential and important people. This is what God is after in your nation. This is what he's after in your family. This is what he's after in your leadership. What's interesting in the Old Testament, though, he, was a, he came as a visitation but never a habitation. Until Jesus comes, he would come and visit. The Bible says the Spirit would come upon them, and then in some form or fashion, he would leave. So they would, they would be open to the presence of the Holy Spirit coming and visiting upon them, and he would move on them, and they would hear his voice, and they would commune in some sort of way. But the Bible says it was a visitation, not a habitation, until Jesus And then Jesus says, I want you to pray. Before you go and do any ministry, before you go on the mission that I've called you to, I want you to understand I don't want my spirit to be a visitation to you. I want him to be a habitation to you, right? And so you see this model um, in 1 Corinthians 16. He says those in Christ are described as the temples of God, that God would come and dwell within us. He's not... The, the one version of this, uh, when Paul's talking in the book of Acts, he's preaching. He says, God is not, he is not, he does not dwell in temples made with hands as if he needs someone to serve him or do something for him. He has no need. And it goes on and says, he is the one that's given us life and has given us everything. And in other words, he's the source. In him, we live and breathe and have our being, right? And at the same time, we're inside of him. At the same time, he comes and he lives inside of us. So we're going to talk about that today and what that looks like. So that word dispensationalism is just uh, a way that, to speak of history being divided into multiple ages or dispensations in which God acts with humanity in different ways. So you see this, um, the age of grace, when Jesus comes on uh, and l- dies on the cross, one writer put, this, put it this way, when Jesus dies on the cross, what he makes available He says, by the Spirit, you sealed us as your beloved. When we come to know Jesus, the Bible says we are sealed in his spirit, right? He says, you sealed us as your beloved, never to be rejected bride. The Spirit is the engagement ring wrapped around our hearts, the sign and security of our marriage to you, Jesus. A wedding feast, not judgment day, awaits us because you have sealed us in your spirit. Wow. Man, the story about the Spirit of God. Then the age of the Spirit, the the second chapter of Acts, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes in this place into the city of Jerusalem in a way it says like like rushing, like a rushing mighty wind. And it speaks back to where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And he said, The Spirit of God, when someone is born again, he says, The Spirit of God is like the wind. You 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 don't know where he comes from, you don't know where he goes, but you see the effects. So, and the easiest way to put it is he is unseen, but he is tangible. He manifests himself. It's just a word that means appears, where, where it becomes obvious. He, goes, he comes from somewhere he's not into something that he is that you can touch and you can feel. You can recognize, you can connect to it somehow, some way. 
John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. Remember the rushing mighty wind. So he's saying the spirit of God is going to come in. He's prophesying even. This is how it's going to occur. So I promise you all these disciples, when they, when they see this happening, as Peter gets up and he says, hey, this is not what you think it is. This people aren't drunk like you think they are. This is something that was prophesied way back in the Old Testament in Joel, right? Something that began to happen. God is moving in a way and then Jesus had spoken about it. He said the Holy Spirit is like wind. And can't you imagine Peter going, this is, this is the prophecy. This is what Joel talked about. This is what Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit, that God would come and he would live among us and he would be our God and we would be his people. That we would have access in the same way in the book of Genesis when they would walk with him in the cool of the day because no longer, because before, I mean, in that moment, sin had not entered into the heart of man. And so there was nothing holding them back from communion and relationship and, and manifest connection. There was nothing holding them in the back. And then because of what Jesus did, the age of grace, and Jesus come and dying on the cross to take away our sins, to take away the sins of all mankind. Now a doorway has been opened up to come back into communion with God. And now in the same way the Father walked with him, walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And the same way that the Father walked with Jesus in everything that he did. Right? He's constantly leaning back to what the Holy Spirit was saying, how he was moving, being moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Right? This connection. The wind blowing. You can hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit, unseen but tangible. So how does he work? How does the Holy Spirit work? What's the, what are the mechanics of it? So let me just give you some, some thoughts. He comes through revelation, impartation, and empowering. John 14, 25 says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. It's interesting how he said it this way. He said, I've talked to you. I have been here with you. I have been Jesus. I am, I am man and God on earth, right? I am connecting with you. You've seen me move in power. And I'm telling you, I'm not moving in power because I'm doing it because I'm God. I'm moving in power in the same way that you're going to move in power. And we talked about this week through the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, right? This is the promise. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, here's the mechanics, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So why should you read your Bible? To learn about God, to learn his character, to learn his nature, to, to, to connect with him, to commune, to get to know him, to at some point, it begins to happen inside of you that you begin to commune with God to the point where you remember, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus has said. Not just in Scripture, but the things he's speaking to you personally. The rhema word, there's the logos word that we get from Scripture. And the rhema word that is connected and within the guidelines, in the boundaries of this logos. But he speaks directly to you. He wants to communicate and commune directly with you. So how does he do that? Does he do it through your mind? So you do it through reading scripture and learning about him. And so that's the, that's the context. It's helpful. But what Jesus was saying was, when he comes, he won't be present with you like that. Scripture even talks about when you read scripture, it's like you're standing in front of a mirror. But the moment you walk away from scripture, you forget what sort of man you are. And the Bible's saying that God wants to come and indwell you to the point where you never walk away from the mirror. And the mirror is not reflecting you and your flesh it's, reflect, it's reflecting your identity and who God has called you to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The gifts of the Spirit are part of the mechanics of how the Spirit of God works in us. 1 Corinthians 12, 
1 through 4, and I love this passage. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know why he said that? Because they were ignorant. <laughs> you and I are ignorant. When I first got saved, I knew nothing about, the, you know, the phrase, I'm gonna, I want to introduce you to Jesus. I had been introduced to Jesus. I had encountered him, but all of my understanding about who God was had not come from God. It had come from uh, culture. It had come from my family. It had come from bad ideas. It had come from my own mind. But it wasn't truth, and my mind had to be renewed. Something had to begin to happen in me. And, and the Bible says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, concerning how the Holy Spirit is going to operate in and through you, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he begins to teach about them. And his expectation wasn't that you would just learn something with your brain, but that you would learn it, you would take it inside of you, and then you would begin to operate accordingly. So listen to what he says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. When you were, before you were saved, before you had relationship with God, he said you were carried away by dumb idols. Not stupid idols. That's not what that word means. It means mute. It means they couldn't speak. And, the whole, and you're going to see this throughout the book of Corinthians. You're going to see it over and over again. And throughout the New Testament, throughout the teaching of Jesus, he's saying, I want to tell you that when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, he's going to talk to you. God is going to talk to you. And we hear that, and in modern-day world, it's, you know, it's, it's refuted. I remember many years ago, one of the great um, leaders of uh, communications ended up creating CNN, the guy out of Atlanta, I forget his name now, but here's what he said. He goes, I find it amazing that people actually think God talks to them. And I remember looking at, him, looking at that and going, I find it amazing that you think you're smart. <laughs> Smart people can be some of the dumbest people you've ever met, don't you think? Anyway, <laughs> he goes on, he says, you, were, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. In other words, you were worshiping something that couldn't talk to you. You were talking to it. You were making it say things that it wasn't actually saying. You were giving it the idea of being a God when it wasn't actually a God. However, you were led, he said. In other words, really it was you doing what you wanted and calling it a God. We're going to get to that in a second. He says, therefore, because of that, I make known to you that no one's speaking by the Spirit. Did you know that you can speak by the Spirit? Not only can you, you should. It should be normal for us to do this. He goes on. He says, uh, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you have not walked into this truth of who Jesus is, you can't speak to him as being your Lord and, and living a life with his Lordship in play if you have not received the Holy Spirit. This is what he's saying. And we're going to get to whether it's the baptism, whether it's the experience of being baptized into, this, into the Spirit. We're going to talk about all of that. But he goes on, he says... <clears throat> There are diversities of gifts, gifts, but the same spirit. That word diversities means um, variety or distribution of gifts. In other words, he's saying God, the Holy Spirit, works in certain ways. It's different. Prophecy is different than tongues and interpretation. It's different than miracles. It's different than, than uh, gifts, plural, of healings, plural, which is one of the gifts. The gift of miracles, right? All these things are gifts that move, that, that we're moved by the Holy Spirit. If we're open to him and we say, Holy Spirit, move through me, he can do that. There are all kinds of different gifts, but this is what's interesting. The one and the same spirit. It's not the gift of prophecy comes from the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of miracles is a different spirit. It's the same God who ministers in and through us in various ways. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. 
So how does that work? It works through your spirit. Here's Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So what, what, what that scripture is saying is that you, there was a part of you that's dead, and we're going to get to that with a graphic in just a minute, but there was a part of you that was dead. And then when Jesus came and he moved in your life, when he came and, and, and you heard the gospel in some form or fashion, and you made the choice to say, Jesus, I want to make you, I believe that I, that I can't do it on my own. The law has shown me that I cannot do enough, that I, I am not good like I wish I was, like I think I was or I thought I was. I know that's not true, right? I cannot do it in my own strength. And, and the Bible says that the, that the law was a school teacher that would teach us about our need for a savior. And so when we learn that, we finally submit to that and go, God, I recognize I need you in my life. I, I have been a God on my, in my own way. I've been, an, I've been an idol worshiper. I have made myself, if I'm honest, the idol. I have been the God of my own world, just like the, like the devil was when he tried to usurp his throne above God, and just like Adam when he said, I wanna do things independently of God. I had, became, I had become my own God. And the picture is, then in this scripture, again, that God's saying you were dead in your trespasses. Something inside of you was dead. And, and the way the Bible teaches it, your spirit, man, who, your connection to God was dead. Your body, your soul, still there, still working, right? Because remember he told Adam, he said, if you eat of this tree, when you eat of this, you will surely die. And then the lie of the enemy comes and says, you know, you're not going to die. And so it was a partial truth. So what part of Adam died when he ate of that tree, right? It wasn't his body. It wasn't his mind, but it was his spirit. And then we come alive again in Jesus Christ, and something happens to our spirit. The thing that's been dormant, that's been dead for so long, begins to come alive. And now the thing that was designed to communicate with God comes alive. And we begin to learn and begin to hear the voice of God. And Jesus says it this way. He says, my sheep know my voice. What is he saying? He's saying, if you are one of my sheep, then you're part of my pastor. You've chosen to, to submit and come into my, into my lordship. You can hear the voice of the shepherd. But if you're not one of my sheep, you can't hear me. Right? <laughs> so it goes on. This is, this is a passage in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one Listen, one spirit with him. What a fascinating scripture. That if you are joined to the Lord, if you have made Jesus your Savior, if you have come to know him, if you have submitted your life, and you are now on mission with him, and he has become the Lord of your life, he said, in your spirit, that's the part that is now connected to God, and it's one with him. It is in perfect communion with him. But there's a challenge that comes from that. And so often, what happens is we stop receiving communication because either we, we don't ever become born again and so we can't hear the voice of God or we become born again and someone tells us that God no longer operates in those realms and in those ways. And the only way we can get to God is through the scripture. We have to read and use our mind and that's how God does it. Don't get me wrong. God has no problem using your mind. But his design is to communicate to you through your spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 11. But it's written, and this is one of the most powerful scriptures about our own spirit. He said, it's written, eyes not seen, nor ears heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And I've heard that preached so many times about the mystery of God. 
but they read it like always. So often we read it without context. We don't read the whole thing, and we're biased because of bad teaching or bad understanding or ignorance, which means no understanding. But listen to what it says next. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Listen, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. He's saying there's a connection, the deep things of God that are connected. It's spiritual things learned spiritually. (laughs) The natural man has no part in God, nor can he, is what the Bible says. And it talks about carnality, living in the flesh. And we're going to get into that in just a second, but it goes on. It says, for what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. There is a communion between you and uh, between your spirit and God's spirit, and there is an unlimited supply of God's information, his knowledge, his wisdom, and his power. But it has to be submitted to him. You're not in charge of it. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now that we have received, not the spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God, why? So that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God's saying, if you don't come alive in your spirit, if you don't build a strong spirit, you are not going to know the things that have been freely given by him. So how do you know that? There's there's a couple of ways, but I want to get into it in just a second, but I want to speak to this. There's a, there, there are ways that you know that you don't have a strong spirit. There's a passage in <clears throat> Proverbs, and, and it's a little bit ahead, but I'm going to use it now. There's a passage in Proverbs that says that um, if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And I remember reading that and going, well, that's not helpful at all. <laughs> I'm like, so you're just going, so if you failed, you're weak. I'm like, Wow, how's that encouraging, right? But what it was, it was designed to to, um, help us understand it's a symptom of something, right? And so when you see it, if I fail in the day of adversity, my strength is weak. In other words, I shouldn't fail in the day of adversity because my strength should be strong. So if you flip that scripture around, if your strength is strong when the day of adversity comes, you will not fail is another way of seeing that scripture. And how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, we know in our own strength there's nothing that we can do. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23 because, again, it comes back to our spirit. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this? I want to give you a graphic, a picture that's super helpful about how to understand how we, and most of you guys have heard this before about our body, our soul, our spirit. It comes not just from this scripture. There are other spirits that speak to this, but this is a good picture. So you you see at the top or on, on that one side, the spirit is God's consciousness coming inside of you. So if you're dead in your trespasses, this part of you is, is not there, right? But if it's alive in you, then it's the deepest part of who you are. It's how we commune with God in the spiritual realm, right? It's, it's, the, it's, the un, you know, it's not seen, but it's tangible is the best way to put it. So this is where you see spiritual awareness, spiritual understanding, sensitivity, and no other creature was created by God with this thing. I I love my dogs. My dogs are so delightful. They make me smile all the time, especially the little tiny one because she thinks she's a Great Dane or something. So she makes me smile all the time, right? (laughs) She doesn't have a spirit. 
And I know that's like, yeah, but my cat does. No. <laughs> no, they don't. Nor the cow that you ate, right? People are like, I can't understand why you eat cows and not your dog. Because I like my dog and cows taste good. It's a simple equation, really. It's not that hard, right? But here's my point. The Bible says to re- for us as believers to regard the life of our beasts. In other words, it's not that they're, that they're, that they're nothing, that they don't matter. You should be kind. To anim- There's so many things that are true about those things, and we get that, Right? But the picture God's painting is, is they don't have a spirit, but you do. They are, they are like us in many, many ways. But in the one that matters most, they are not like us in the sense that they cannot commune with God through their spirit, right? John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is the place of revelation. When you're born again and your spirit comes alive, now think of it, for lack of a better term, as a massive antenna. How much you build into that, how much you focus, how much you dial into that, into your spirit, is how much you're going to walk in revelation and communion with God. It's just the truth of it, right? And so the next part of us is our soul, our self-consciousness. The souls are our very self. It's a medium between our spirit, and this is where it gets interesting, and our body. It possesses self-consciousness. It's where we would, what we call our personality, what makes you different. All the gifts and the ministry that God puts into your life, the gifts and the passions and the talents, right? All that in our personality, that's how God made us. And that's part of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So with our souls, we think, we reason, we consider, we remember, we wonder. We experience emotions like happiness, love, sorrow, anger, relief, and compassion. And we're able to resolve, choose, and make decisions. Our soul perceives things in the psychological realm. As a matter of fact, the Greek word, suke, is also the root for psychology. So when people go, when you say, hey, I'm seeing a psychologist... Who are they ministering to? Right? There's nothing wrong with psychologists. I love psychology because it's the study of the soul, actually. But it's only one part of you. And it's not the part that communes with God. It's the part that reasons, though, and makes decisions. Which means if you aren't communing with God, how are you making your decisions? How are you reasoning? How are you thinking through? How are you taking on identity? How is it that you are receiving? The answer is if you're not receiving it from the Spirit of God, you're receiving it from somewhere else. So here's the connection. We're supposed to align our body, our soul, with God through a strong spirit. So you see the arrows going there. That what, How we're supposed to live is to live from our spirit. And then it speaks to our mind, our body. Uh, and, and I mean, sp- speaks to our soul and then our body. So let me just give you an example. I had a, had a friend, a couple of friends up in Atlanta. Uh, both of them were doctorates. Different doctorates, but doctorates nonetheless. So brilliant, um, studied, spent a lot of time in school. Really strong mind, really strong soul. For, for lack of a better term, right? And so I, I asked them, I said, so do you guys speak in tongues? And they said, yes, we do. So I said, how is that for you, you know, being a smart person? Because <laughs> I know how it is for me, right? It has some challenges, but I would imagine with a brain as big as yours, it may even present more challenges. How do you do that? And both of them instantly said the same thing. I make my mind submit to my spirit. And I was like, you are smart, because that's exactly what, right? And so how did, they, how did they learn that? I promise you they didn't learn it in school. They had to make a decision about this. Am I going to let my spirit rule inside of me? So we're going to talk about the mechanics again of what that looks like. 
Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, a view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, listen, a living sacrifice. In other words, my body is the last one on the totem pole, and it just needs to do what I tell it. <laughs> right? How many of you guys have ever stayed up later than you should? <laughs> How many of you guys have ever eaten something you shouldn't? Right? That's your body going, no, I'm in charge. I like sugar. You ever, you ever notice you do not have to teach your kids to like sugar? It's just instantly like the body goes, I want more of that and less of those broccoli things because that can't be good for me, right? So the picture then is, he says, he goes on, he says, um, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, your body cannot be holy and pleasing to God if you don't offer it. If you don't make a decision with your mind, will, and emotions to do something with your body, your body is going to be in charge often. Here's what's fascinating about that. It doesn't matter. You know, we think of that as my body's going to be an addiction, and it's going to want to do things. That it's going to want to overeat. It's, one, it's going to want to do drugs. It's one physical Pleasure, right? Something that makes the body feel good, it wants to do it. But isn't it interesting that you can turn that completely on its head and you can work out so much that you don't want to work out, but your body is telling you, I want to look good. I like the way people look at me. I like what they think. So not because I'm healthy, but because of what I look like. So the body now drives you to the gym. <laughs> isn't it interesting, right? And then, you, and then the people who never want to lose their youthfulness. So Jesus died at 30, somewhere they figure 33 years of age. Mature man in Jewish culture was a 30-year-old man. So what should you be like eternally? I've just decided not to grow old. And you can too, because your spirit doesn't age. Right? But your mind, your will, and your emotions can, and definitely your body will, because we live in a fallen world, and it's subject to that. But it's amazing that healing occurs from a spiritual realm coming into a natural realm through someone's decisive action, like moving in the gifts of healings, right, that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians, and then someone's physical body that's not supposed to do that, it does it. It, it violates, literally violates the natural realm because something's occurred from the heavenly realm. So it goes on, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know why he said that? Because it's really, really easy to conform to the pattern of this world, right? Then he goes, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your body? Your spirit? Nope. He said there's something going on in this soulish realm that if you don't get this right, it, for lack of a better term, we say this because the emotions are part of your soul, right? We say this all the time that emotions are a wonderful servant but a terrible master, isn't it interesting? The Bible says, be angry. So in other words, walk in fully in emotions. Man, experience the anger that that child just gave you, but don't kill it, right? As a parent, you understand what I'm saying? Something inside of you says, that anger wants me to do something that is ungodly. It wants me to cry out in a language that I probably shouldn't be using. It wants me to take it out on people. It wants me to act out because of this thing that's going on inside of my soul. And the Bible just says, well, why don't you just tell it to shut up? Because your spirit should be in charge of your mind, your will, and your emotions. But so often as believers, it's not. So what is the body? It's our world consciousness. It's how we touch this physical, natural world. It's the external part. It's how we interact. 
It contains the soul. The soul is the vessel that contains the spirit. Our body exists and is in contact with tangible things in the material world using five senses, which is why you keep seeing the word sensual over and over in Scripture. It does, sensual doesn't just mean sexual. Otherwise, it would, it would have used that word. What is sensual? He says one place, he said these people were sensual in the sense that their gods were their stomachs. I think about that for a second. Their, their, their idol, what they worship, is their stomach. So does that mean I'm overweight? Or I don't know. It, it, it could be that you are, you're a food snob. You understand? You could be totally healthy and be a food snob. Your, your stomach being, I, I want, I, you know, it's all about this. It can be your sexuality. I mean, we live in a world right now where people are finding their identity in their sexuality. And that's a perfect picture of, of my physical body saying, this is who you are. This is how I feel. So the, the body saying, I, I, this, the body is one thing, but my mind, will, and emotions is saying, I don't like that. I feel like that's the wrong body. I shouldn't be in that. So I've decided to be something I'm not. Right? So how does that work? And it comes back to the same context, that it's sensual. It's connected to this physical world. And before long, it begins to drive our identity. And we begin to say things like, this is, I am this, I am that, right? It drives our identity in when we've been told, even by our parents maybe at a young age, that you're not worthy or you're never going to live up to this, to, to a good person, or you're, you know, you're not all that. All these phrases that come in and then the enemy uses, pounces on that, and he just drives that and drives that and drives it. And I say, look, I don't really care what my mind says. It talks to me all the time. It tells me things that are, some of them are true. And sometimes it tells me things that are not true. My spirit comes and says, says, Dave, you are a brand new creature. That you have been saved. You have been made into a new person. Everything, all the old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. And now I can come boldly before a throne of grace for help in time of need. So what does that look like? Then I'm like, but you are a sinner saved by grace. You hear me say this all the time because it's so easy to pick on. Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? I don't care what your brain says. I don't care what your denomination says. I don't care what your reasoning says. I care about what God says because God is trying to communicate to us in our spirit the truth, the reality of an unseen world into a seen world. Remember the prayer when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he prays, and one of the things he says, Lord, your will be done on this earth even as in heaven. What was he saying? In, in heaven, the mindset is there is no distraction. There is no other realm. It's the spiritual realm. And he's saying, I want to live like that in you and through you. So what does that look like? What does it look like to have a strong spirit? The Bible seems to describe the fact that we are a God container. In other words, something's supposed to happen. Listen, this is Hebrews 18. This is the covenant I'm going to establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. This is another way of saying our spirit. I will be their God and they will be my people. God always intended us to be the temple. Right? We say this all the time. This is not a sanctuary. This is just a room. You are the sanctuary. So Jesus said, hey, don't defile that, <laughs> right? Any more than you want to defile this room. Can you imagine just cussing up a blue streak inside this room? Most of you southern people are like, I could, my mama would kill me. Even if God wouldn't, my mama would totally kill me, right? So as hard as that is to imagine, 
why is it so much harder to imagine that we can defile the temple, this physical body, this mind, will, and emotion, this spirit, this container of God, that we can walk in sin, even as a believer, part of the reason why is because we have believed that that's who I still am, that I'm just a sinner, I've not been changed, I've not been made new. Why? Because the patterns I'm showing seem to be telling me that I'm still a sinner. Well, what did Romans 12 say? It said, change the pattern. Don't conform to the pattern. In other words, you're going to want to conform to the pattern of this world, to gossip, to to cheat, to steal. The Bible says if you stole, stop stealing. Like, seems like common sense, but it's not as common as it used to be, right? Stop taking things and work with your hands. In other words, instead of using your hands to do terrible things, use your hands to do good right? And to serve others. With the gift, we talked about this, the gift that God's given you, 1 Peter 4.10, the gift, serve others with the gift. Serve faithfully, faithfully administrate it. In other words, there's a plan, there's a way to do it. But if you're thinking in terms of just the natural, then it's never going to go, because here's the challenge, ultimately, here's the challenge. Imagine your spirit is cut off. So this is what you look like, this graphic, this next graphic, looks, this is what it looks like when you don't know Jesus. All of the things that you have access to in your spirit aren't there. So how are you ruled? How are you led? What is your identity? Where does your identity come from? And if you look at this picture, it comes from either self-consciousness. It's all about me. So let's say your mind. Maybe you're really smart and you're tremendously intellectual. And I love that and I think it's wonderful. But intellectualism is a wonderful servant and a horrible master because it just makes you arrogant. Right? Anybody ever met someone who's arrogant, but they're smart? It's twice as bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> someone who's arrogant and stupid, you're like, well, he just, he's, he doesn't know, right? But someone who's really smart and arrogant, you're like, man, as smart as you are, you ought to know that you're not all that in a bag of crackers, right? <laughs> but they don't. But look at this. What about, what about, so if your intellect is in charge, then you lead from your mind. And people celebrate that in this world celebrate learning and they celebrate school and they celebrate you know you have an md or a phd behind your name or you've been trained in all this that's wonderful but how much of that is like god and how much of that is determined by your own self-consciousness and your own desire to look good and learn and grow and and the bible says it this way that knowledge in other words not revelation from the spirit but knowledge from your human wisdom and your human soul it puffs up Knowledge makes you arrogant. It's what happens. I've met some incredibly smart people, brilliant people, who are not arrogant. Because in their, in their understanding, with all of their intelligence, they know that no matter how amazing it is, it holds no candle to their spirit in communion and relationship with God. Right? And so they submit their mind to their spirit. What about, what about your emotions? I know some smart people who are arrogant. What about emotional people? The drama queens of the world, right? Everything's a drama, and everything's about them. You see it constantly online. Social media is, is the, it's, it's the seedbed of narcissism, right? It's not the only thing that it can be used for. It's just a tool, but just like anything else, when it's used for yourself and in your own mind, your own will, it turns into my emotions are what matters. It's all about how sad I am. It's all about how my problem, if you knew what was going on. At some point, I, I, when we're counseling people, I say, can you just quit your whining 
put your big boy pants on, or girl pants, however you want to look at it, and do what's necessary. Why? Because God is for you and not against you, right? So all your whining, your complaining, so listen, I've done it too. I'm not beating you up about it. I'm just saying that if you stay in that place, what you're really saying is, I am the answer to my problems. I am the one who's going to have to come up with a solution to this. I am self-aware. It's all about me. I can do this. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And our, our culture drives that, and it's completely ungodly right? Nothing wrong with having a strong mind, strong emotions. Those are wonderful things, but they should be in submission to our, our spirit. What about your body? We talked about this before. It rains through your physical senses. What is your body like? It does not like pain, <laughs> right? So even if you look at this, even without a spirit, you, your mind, will, and emotions can make your body submit. And I know this because I watch people get up at four o'clock and go running, and I'm like, why would you be running unless a lion is chasing you? I do not understand why you're doing this. But they're saying, I know that my body must come into submission if I'm to be healthy, right? And I say, it's interesting. There's a passage in Timothy. It's very interesting. It says it this way. It says, physical training has some value, right? It's not that it has no value, but godliness has value for all things. Why? Because it holds a promise for both the present life and the life to come. It transcends the natural. Holiness, godliness, a spiritual, strong spirit. So if you're overruled or overwhelmed and ruled by your emotions, or you're intellectually sound, but ruled only by reason, you have missed God's plan for your life. So how do you build? How do you get a strong spirit? What does it mean to have one? Proverbs 24.10 says, again, it's just a picture. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. God's saying, I want you to be strong. I want you to have a strong spirit. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be the solution and not the problem. God said, I want to create a people. This is his picture of Israel and then the church. I'm, this is how he chose to do it. He could have done it any way he wanted. But he said, I want to present to the world a picture of what it looks like for men and women to be in relationship with me, to commune with me, to find their identity from me, and to live into this physical world in submission to the God who made it. Think about that for a second. So often, though, we as believers, we're no different than the world. We get what drives us. What, what causes, where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our time? What are we giving our lives away in exchange for? It's a good picture of what you find valuable. So if you fail, if you find yourself constantly failing, it's like I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling. <laughs> right? So everybody struggles. We get that. But there's supposed to be this, this growth pattern that begins to happen. That when these things begin to occur, God comes and he says, I want to teach you a different way, right? Jesus was all about taking the disciples and showing them a new and a living way, he called it. Living from the gospel, the good news that God loves you, he's for you, and he's with you. God, Emmanuel, God here and now. God moving into the neighborhood, moving into you, right? So what does that look like? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Remember what the Holy Spirit was going to do? He's going to bring what Jesus said, the word of Christ, his message, not just what he said, but who he is, is the message, right? 
because it's all about him. From the foundations of time, the lamb was slain. In the very end, to celebrate the, the, sl- the slaying of the lamb. Why? Because he came and he rescued his people. He has a bride. I mean, there's so many pictures in the, in, in the New Testament. But he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you should sing to one another, sing over one another the things that the Lord is saying. So what do we encourage our, our body to do when we administrate the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit among us? We're saying, we're, we're challenging some of you to say, hey, you guys with strong spirits, if you sense and feel and hear the word of God, God wants me to go talk to this person or encourage them or share a, a picture or a scripture with them. And the Bible says that, you're, that you prophesy according to your faith. So the stronger your spirit gets, the stronger the prophetic word. The more confidence you could come, this is what the Lord says to you. You come and you speak identity. What about parenting your kids? What does that look like? Are you parenting your kids the same way the world does? Are you so interested in education and their education and how they're going to get along in this life that's going to last 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and then it's over? Are you so in, in, in involved in, in all the things of this world that you don't recognize that you were made for another one? Right? So listen to this again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing to one another spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's hard for, for the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus' words to remembrance if you've never put them inside of you in the first place. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be disciplined. <laughs> it means to say, God is saying I should spend time in his word. Why? Because I need to dwell. That means live there richly in the word of Christ, in the word of God, in the message of the gospel, in who he is, his character, and his nature. I'm supposed to do that, which means my mind, will, and emotions now has to make decisions. It has to resolve. It has to decide what is going to happen. So for me, that means reading my Bible every day. Do I do it every single day? No, because it's not legalism. But it does need to be a new pattern. Don't be conformed to the image of the world where you don't read your Bible, (laughs) right? Where you don't pray, you don't worship, you don't attend meetings of the church. Don't be conformed to that, that image. Conform to the image that God has called us to walk in as disciples. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be disciplined. Read your Bible. Spend time waiting on the Lord. Spend time praying. Praying is just not telling God your, your bucket list or your, your shopping list. It's talking to God and letting him talk back to you. Why? Because when you hear what the Lord is saying, then you can obey what he's saying. And when you're doing that, it's the place of purpose. It's the place God designed us to walk in. But listen, it is not, God get, not you getting God to bless your mission on earth, but recognizing that you have been called to his Everything that you have need of, he's given it to you, right? So you could just go off and live like the world? No, no. So you can be a messenger in this world. The Holy Spirit comes and says, I'm going to empower you to be my witness in this present age. To the people whose spirits are dead, you're going to show them not only this as the spirit alive, but he can be alive in them. That's the picture that God's painting. And lastly, peace that passes understanding. We talked about that this morning in our prayer time. Colossians 3.15 says it this way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not visit. Not make suggestions. But let the peace of Christ rule in you. What happens when the day of adversity comes? How do you react? Do you fail? 
or do you rise up? I'm not saying pretend, put on a, a pretty face. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about deep inside of you. You know the Lord is for you and not against you. The Bible talks about this bodily exercise profits little. It, pro- it has some value. But, but godliness, walking with God, not isn't just a promise for here, but it's a promise for there. For, for there. Why does that matter? Because when it, it, it comes back to this passage in Hebrews, it said, do not fear those who can take your life, but fear God who, when he's taken your life, can put your soul in hell. It's not, it's not an accusation that God's coming after you and trying to beat you up. It's not an anti-grace message. What it is, it's a reminder that what you see in this world, in this tangible world, isn't the full reality. But his is. So let me wrap it up with this. We must have the Holy Spirit working through our lives. First of all, for us, life, and more abundantly, he promises us, Taking thoughts captive. How do you do that if you don't have a strong spirit? Encouraging ourselves in the Lord. It said of David, he encouraged himself in the Lord, but it doesn't say how. And I was like, it would have been helpful, Lord. <laughs> right? If you don't, but it, it, we recognized what he did was he encouraged himself in the Lord. What he was saying was, you know what? God, I know who you are. I know your character. I know, I know your nature. I know you're for me and not against me. And so because of that, I trust you. I can put my faith in you. I can lean into you. I can do something that seems like it's not wisdom to the world around us, right? It confounds the world. But the results are powerful and beautiful. So having the Holy Spirit work through our lives, first for us, secondly for others. Why? Because we get to rescue the lost and the broken and the hurting. Not through fancy words or arguments, but through power. I read last week, 1 Corinthians 2, 1, 5, Paul's coming into a new city where he'd come from an old one and preached, and it didn't go well. And he comes to Corinth, and he says it this way, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech. I didn't come with a great argument, wisdom. He goes on, not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Why? Why? So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I've had so many encounters in the supernatural. I'm just going to share a couple with you as I close. I prayed for a guy one time in Tyler, Texas. This is 20-something years ago now. Um, And as we were praying for him, he levitated. So I'm praying for him with my hand on his head while his body's levitating. We had several ministers there that night. It was a youth event, so they got what they paid for, right? They They were like, whoa. And so they come, and six of them gather around, and we press this guy to the floor. Somebody has a bottle of oil. I don't even know where that came from, but they poured it on his head, and when they did, steam flew up. It's something out of a horror movie, except for the devil wasn't in charge, <laughs> right? And so we, again, you don't have to believe this. I didn't believe it for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, um, I, I said, I'm going to stop telling this story. And then one of the kids, one of the pastors who were there helping me, one of his sons had become an adult now, came to visit us one time in Longview, Texas, when we were leading or part of another church. And I, was, I, was, I felt called to tell that story again, and I told it, and he comes up to me afterwards, and he said, I was there that night. And he said, and I watched that kid levitate, and I watched you guys push him to the ground, and I watched you cast demons out of this guy in the name of Jesus, and I watched the devils let him go. And I watched him come into Christ, and I watched his countenance change. No longer fear, but hope and a future, right? And so I'm like, wow, that's true. I've had so many things happen to me. I, if, I, if I took time, it would take 
three or four services to tell you the, the physical, just the stuff I can remember, <laughs> right? Why is that important? Because what's happened to me was supernatural. It's above nature. So you are never, in any kind of argument, going to convince me that God isn't real. Not ever. You can come with your, I, I, I'm online all the time because I'm studying, I'm researching, and I'm constantly bombarded with amazing messages of wisdom about how God's not real and he's not, he doesn't exist, and, I, and all I feel is pity. Because I'm like, in their great wisdom, they have become fools, right? Why? Why do, why do our kids keep going off to college and then losing their faith? Can I tell you, I believe it's because their faith has been in wisdom. It's been in the wisdom of men. It's been in good arguments, good sermons. It's been in all those things. But it, what has not been in is a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. And I have the sense, this is Ephesians 5.18. I'm going to pray. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. These guys worship the God of wine, Bacchus was his name. They worshiped the God of wine. And the way they thought they could hear from God is they would get so drunk that they felt like their mind now was in a place where, this is what drugs do, right? This, it, we understand this. What psychedelics were in the 60s. It's, it's, it's what cannabis is. It's all these things. If I can get my mind loose, I can hear from God. Can you, though? <laughs> or is just hearing from the God of wine, <laughs> right? We know. But what would it look like? Instead of being drunk, like intentionally going to get drunk, that you intentionally went and got filled with the Spirit. Literally, it says, it, it means be being filled. The, the tense of the Greek means to constantly being refilled. That, you're, that you leak because the world comes in after you. And that something about being in the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and being getting in the Spirit, because this is what John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was in a church service, he was in a meeting, he had come away from that, whatever that looks like, and he was waiting on the Lord, he was praying, he was probably just waiting and receiving, and then he has a vision and he says, I was in the Spirit, and listen, he was limitless in that place. He was not limited by time, he was not limited by the, the, the way this world works, which is why the Bible says gifts of healing occur. It's why that we believe in the supernatural. It's why we keep praying for people who are stuck in a place where the enemy is coming against them with sickness. It's why we contend for healing. Some of it so often that we don't, one reason why we don't see it is there's so much unbelief because so much of the church is living in the body and the soul and not the spirit. And my challenge to us is, would we be a people who would lean into the things of the spirit and come, let's say, next Sunday or tomorrow or today if you go to lunch somewhere and you're sitting there waiting for your food, would you be so full of the Spirit that you could hear God say, I would really love to say something to this waiter or this waitress through you. This happens on a regular basis, but I can tell you it happens way more often when I'm intentional. Lord, what are you saying and what am I doing about it are the two questions of a disciple. So what is the Lord saying to you? Can you hear his voice? Or is your spirit so muted and so underdeveloped that you cannot even hear the voice of God? I'm not beating you up. I'm challenging because God says, my sheep hear my voice. They can. They do. And this is what he said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will 
come to you. I won't leave you as an orphan. I will be a father to you. I'll be your God and I will walk among you. That's his promise to you. But you have to make room for that and grow your spirit. Let your mind work the way it's supposed to and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we do that, what's going to happen is we're going to see God begin to move in power in greater ways. We're already seeing it, but we're going to see it happen in greater ways. Would you stand? I said before, today is, is Pentecost. And I, I'm not real big on um, liturgical calendar as a church leader. I understand why we do it. It's good to remember. But how we do what we do is we say, God, what are you saying to us in preaching and teaching? What are you saying to us at church? And what do we do about it? And so my challenge to you this morning is this. God meant for us to be a people that when we came to the city, rather than constantly being in need of rescue personally as Christians, right? In other words, God, I just need it. I just need your help. 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 What if you were the one who is providing the help? What if you just changed the way you thought and said, you know what? Whatever normal has been for me, where I'm the one constantly under challenge and, and, and the enemy's coming after me and he's beating me up and he's taking advantage of me and all these things in the world and I'm confused and there's fear. What if you just said, you know what? That's actually not supposed to be the way I'm supposed to live. The way I'm supposed to live is to walk and be full of the Spirit. Not be drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit because when I am, I can hear His voice, I can obey, and I can walk in it in power. If that's the case, I want to pray for you. If you would, just open your heart and open your hands and maybe just as a way of saying, Lord, I want more of you because He promises more. More of your Spirit. More of understanding in my own Spirit. So I want to pray for us. So Jesus, we just come now. Lord, first of all, we just say thank you for sending the Comforter. And Holy Spirit, we just say, Lord, thank you for not just living inside of us, Lord, but making our spirit come alive in you. And Lord, that you can move through us, through revelation, through encounter, through power, Lord. You can do supernatural things through me, but Lord, you use me to do it. I have to say yes. I have to come into agreement. I have to be transformed, Lord. My mind has to become new to your way of thinking, not my old way of thinking. Lord, would you do that right now? In our hearts and our lives, I pray. God, we open ourselves to you, Lord. We don't want to be the ones constantly being rescued. Lord, we want to be the ones living in victory constantly. We want to be the ones, Lord, going out and rescuing others. Lord, thank you that you're always willing to rescue us. When we're in trouble or the enemy comes in, Lord, you're always there. But Lord, let our normal be a life full of victory and praise and admiration, Lord, to, uh, to ascribe to you the glory and the kindness and the goodness that's yours, no matter what the circumstances say in my body and my mind and my soul. But Lord, my spirit is alive in you, and I know I can trust you. Would you speak to me? Would you fill me afresh and again with your Holy Spirit till I overflow out of me and into the world? And Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. In your name we pray, amen. If you need ministry this morning, we would love to pray for you. Our team will be up here. We'd love to lay hands on you and ask God for more of his spirit inside of you. And if not, we love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.